does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. Excruciating. That's the word. Um, Boy. You know, when you have a week like you did, and by, and by the way, I guess I should probably say welcome to Kevin's Corner. I am Kevin Bowen. He is Eddie Garrison. You, know, you have the week play out like the Colts did. A divisional loss down in Jacksonville, season series swept. Lose Anthony Richardson officially for the year. Grover Stewart out a month and a half. Boy, you get to Sunday, Eddie, and you're thinking, just have some good news. And I mean, there's so much you look at from Sunday, and it was one of the wilder Colts games I've ever seen. And 450 yards of total offense and 38 points and big play after big play and back and forth. And thought I saw the stat, the first game the NFL has had with eight lead changes in four years. Uh, just such a back and forth nature and an unexpected high scoring game. And then it ends like that. It ends like that with PJ Walker driving down the field, questionable officiating, um, and a lot, a lot to get to on today's. Uh, Kevin's corner and such a big big loss when you're talking about the AFC standings and if your mind has shifted at all to more of a wild card point of view that's where uh, yesterday really really stings Eddie Garrison uh, good Monday morning to you man good Monday morning to you as well how was your weekend overall Uh, it was good yeah we did some um, fall-ish type activities Carter Bowen our nephew hung out with us my brother Ryan and his um, wife Kristen were on vacation so uh, fun spending some time with him, watch some football. And did you go to the pumpkin patch or anything? Uh, we did that back. Didn't we have the weekend in September where I said it was a pumpkin patch weekend? Maybe. You had to get it out of the way. Maybe. Then. Yeah. Maybe. That was the pumpkin patch time. No, no pumpkin patch activities for us. I mean, you had Ohio State, Penn State at noon. So, you, again, you got you got to look got to look at the schedule, folks. you got to get the <laughs> pumpkin patch out. There's always going to be that late September game or, or weekend, I should say, where college football really lacks. Make sure you get that in. Um, and then yesterday, man, gosh, what a wild game. Just Extremely. a wild game. I mean, haymakers thrown between the Colts and the Browns. Like, Miles Garrett, one of the greatest individual performances I've ever seen inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. And I, I guess I'll focus here early on before I get into what I didn't like and what I liked, Eddie. And just the magnitude of that loss in terms of the playoffs. And I know there's a section of our audience that maybe isn't ready to go there or you know, doesn't want to go there. But you know, we talked about it on the Wednesday pod, like last Sunday in Jacksonville was such a divisional implication-filled game. Yesterday, I would say, was close to that from a wild card standpoint. You know, three of your next four, Eddie, are against NFC teams. So those games just naturally don't bring as much to the table AFC playoff-wise. They still are obviously important. But they're not kind of the double whammy nature that yesterday is and was. And boy, to have lost it like that, you fall from 8th in the playoff standings to 11th. You obviously lose a head-to-head tiebreaker against a team that I think is in a wild quarterback situation. I don't know what the hell they do at quarterback right now. Um, God, that was brutal. In a way, it almost kind of felt like the opposite of Baltimore. You know... Dustin Hopkins did his Matt Gay performance from Baltimore, and I thought as beneficial as the whistle was late in the Baltimore game, you didn't obviously get that late yesterday. Um, Should we talk about the officiating now? Just get it out of the way. How do you want to handle it? I'm bad with officiating stuff. I'm not a big blame the ref guy. Are you a blame the ref guy? Depends on the situation. Like yesterday, I don't blame the ref uh-huh. as much as you really could because of the, how I thought it was a little bit ticky tack on the illegal contact. And then I, I tweeted this a week ago yesterday. I feel like the part of pass interference that needs to be, you know, reinstated to these officials is that it has to be catchable. I've seen so many balls now at pass attempts land seven yards out of bounds. Right. Like, how in the hell is Victor Wembenyama going to catch that, let alone <laughs> a guy who's two and a half feet shorter? I think we get Wembenyama on the bingo card early in the pod. Uh, well, I all right, let's just go there. Let's go with e- e- each of the plays, Eddie. Um, let's start, I guess, let's, 
let's go in order. Third and four, uh, legal contact by Daryl Baker Jr. on Amari Cooper. Um, that negates the EJ Speed game ceiling strip recovered by DeForest Buckner uh, on that play. Um, this is how I view And again, my hand is raised. is like I am not blame the ref guy. And so I think that kind of influences. I, I don't know why I feel the need to state that, but I will state that heads up because I do feel like you can kind of fall into one of the two categories with that. Um, so on the play, Cooper is running a double move. And I think the Browns had a very clear game plan on the final drive. Pepper, Daryl Baker Jr. And so part of that is, and, and you, boy, you hope you know Juju Brenz isn't out too, too long. You know, you know, best case scenario would be what probably right around a month. You know, get him back for some part to close that season, maybe post bye week. You know, things like that. But um, you know, clearly they're saying, "Hey, let, let's pepper him." He got benched already this season. He's back in the game right now. Let's make sure that we go after him. And they did. They went after him all on that final drive. So Cooper runs a double move, and I've watched this play now, Eddie. I swear I've watched it thirty-five times. And I've slowed it down, and I've tried to screenshot. I've tried to do everything with this. Because to me, this is the debatable one. The second play is not deb- is not debatable. That flag should have been picked up, to your point. Um, it's uncatchable. Uh, the ball almost hit blue. It almost hit James the Beer Man. It was so far out of play. The officiating crew has got to come together. And not and, to mention, and, and pick that up. Peoples-Jones initiates the contact there. It's not Baker. Yeah, and I... Yeah, I, I well, let's focus on the third and fourth. That that's on me for getting off track there. So what you see on the double move is Baker bites on the initial move. That is clear, and you watch it, and he starts to you know stumble a little bit as he sees Cooper start to reroute himself back to whatever the outside part of the field, or even kind of that that corner of the end zone. And as Baker realizes, oh bleep, Cooper is doing something else here. He sticks out the left arm, and for me, when that left arm goes out. That is the first thing that makes contact with Cooper. And at that point, that is Daryl Baker Jr. realizing he is beat to recover. I've got to get out of whatever my normal guarding position is, and I've got to get my left arm on him to try and impede his progress. At that point, Cooper tries to kind of disengage that left arm, and pretty simultaneously to that happening, you have then Baker kind of wrap around Cooper with his right and get that on the back side of them. And while all this is happening, EJ Speed is <laughs> in the backfield, you know, trying to end the game. I have not seen a great all 22 shot of it yet, Eddie. Usually that that uh, tape comes out a little bit later on Mondays. I've tried to kind of, you know, look at a screen grab from the fumble, try to match it up with, you know, CBS did have that one kind of end zone shot looking down towards Walker, and you can see Baker and Cooper in the background. It is very split second. I think the infraction occurs just prior to the ball coming out. It is very close, though. But that is a big deal because if the ball's out, anything goes, and that would not be illegal contact. If Philip Walker would have been out of the pocket, that illegal contact goes out the window either. So it is very bang-bang, and it is very close. And I think anybody that falls on the, that is 1,000% a penalty or 1,000% not a penalty, I think you're just looking at it through whatever glasses you want to look at it. I think it's really bang-bang. I probably think it's a legal contact. Again, I'm not like married to the call, but I think that Baker's left arm does impede the reroute. And at the end of the day, and this is strictly my opinion, it's a double move by Amari, Amari Cooper that Daryl Baker gets beat on. And to recover, he does something to stick out his left arm, and that starts all of the contact there. Um, it, obviously a huge penalty. Comes on a third and four. Automatic first down. You know, an incompletion there. You know, that that would have been great great for the Browns. I Honestly, just EJ Speed sacking Phillip Walker would have been a huge play had the penalty not occurred on that. And then the defensive pass interference penalty on the very next play. That, to me, Eddie, is a moment where I'm looking at the officials right here. Sean Smith and his crew. One, two, three, four, five, six. You know they had an indie guy on the crew yesterday. Did, Did you know they that? really? An indie native on the crew. Yeah, so for those thinking, oh, these refs, they they screwed us. Well, do we ban the indie guy? Do we kick him out of the city? Uh, eight guys on the officiating crew, right? Referee, line judge, back judge, umpire, field judge, replay official. I guess the replay official is up top. Down judge and side judge. 
Um, okay, so you got seven guys on the crew. How do you not come together? How does one person in that crew not come together and say, guys, um, and probably the head official, Sean Smith, is the one, because when Philip Walker releases the ball, what do you do if you're the head official? You wait in the backfield for a split second to see if there's any sort of contact to the quarterback at that point. And then you should follow, in my opinion, you should follow the ball down the field to see where it lands. Because that, who would that have been on the call? Probably the back judge, maybe the side judge who uh, threw the flag on Baker Jr. They're watching Baker Jr. versus Donovan Peoples-Jones. They're not watching where the ball necessarily lands. Once that ball lands where it did, that's where, again, they this crew picked up flags yesterday. They did it twice. Get together as a crew and pick that up. That, to me, is the obvious one. I'm a little torn on the first one. I lean towards it was legal contact. This one, I have no lean. This is an uncatchable ball. It is not pass interference. Honestly, Eddie, if it's anything, it's probably holding more than pass interference, right? I mean, didn't Baker Jr. have a good amount of Peoples Jones's arm if you want to call anything there? Again, I'm not saying that you do, but if you want to call anything, to me it's holding and not DPI. But like I said before we started talking about that, I'm watching it right now. Peoples Jones is the one that engages with Baker. Baker mm-hmm. doesn't engage with uh, Peoples Jones. Peoples Jones sticks that right arm out into the chest to try and create a little bit of separation. Uh, and as he's going toward the back of the end zone, but I mean Baker doesn't release, so yeah, I mean you could call holding, but yeah. I just didn't think that Baker was the one that engaged first in that scenario. If you want to have a gripe, I think this is the gripe uh, that creates a what a second and goal from the nine. I, I mean, who the hell knows? I, I looked at my chat before the drive started, and I go, "There's no way PJ Walker does this, right? No way." I mean, like Eddie, who was worse, Watson or Walker? Oh. Probably Watson, yeah. But I mean, they both were god awful, and that's what you know adds to the maddening. And we'll get into that a little bit more as the podcast unfolds. You know, part of this is living with youth in the secondary. I mean, that is part of this. Um, You know, I think there are you know a dozen other moments in the game, and Eddie, that's what I really try to focus on with this podcast. I think so. So often we get beyond focused on what happens in the final minute or two and we lose sight of what happens elsewhere in the game and there are so many critical moments so I really try to be just 60 minute reactionary to what happened in that football game Um, and there are plenty of chances that the Colts obviously had and uh, did they get a poor whistle late I would say undoubtedly they got a poor whistle late Uh, but they also had you know ample opportunities to try and end this game and and put themselves in that situation to needing, you know, a a steady whistle, if you will, late or a good whistle late, however you want to describe it, uh, based off some decisions that they made throughout the course of that game. Um, but that that's how it boils down to me. Um, I can, you know, ticky tack is that what you called the third and four legal contact? Yeah, yeah, that that's probably a good way to put it. Um, you know, again, to me, Amari Cooper has Baker Jr. beat, and that's where the left arm goes out. Um, I know there's a lot of Cooper then, uh, you know, initiated the contact. To me, when Baker Jr. throws out the left arm, if you go back and watch it, uh, he's off balance and he is beat, and that's what he do he does to try to recover. Uh, so that's how I I view that uh, that situation. Want to get your thoughts on a couple other, or two plays in particular before we go into more what you didn't like. Um, the DeForest Buckner interception, no interception, and the Kenny Moore, no interception. Um, I thought Kenny's was more of an incompletion than Buckner's. I couldn't really get a good angle on it. What would you think about uh, the Buckner pick that they overturned without really going under the hood, for lack of a better yeah, phrasing? I, you know, I, I, I kind of thought that the NFL had done this where if the ball doesn't move, then you can still secure the catch if, it, if the ball technically hits the ground. Was that was I off on that? I, I correct. You're you're right. Uh, I thought the Kenny Moore one was harder to overrule than the Buckner one. I it, thought it, there it, was a view where you could see the ball come loose. It hits the ground. and He doesn't have possession for of Kenny. Yes, when okay. he doesn't have the full possession of the ball. Yeah. I, again, very bang bang. Both of those. Um, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say the Colts got a questionable whistle yesterday to a bad whistle. Um, 
And those moments, boy, I mean, as soon as the Kenny Moore one happened, I'm thinking myself, I see Watson laying there on the turf. I'm thinking to myself, oh, boy, this is the best thing that could happen to the Browns. Get Watson out of the game. But. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, um, let's get into what I didn't like. Okay, the first one, the final drive. Yeah, let's let's just start with the final drive, and we're going to put the officiating to the side because we've already talked about that. Uh, Eddie Phillip Walker drove, what, seven plays and 67 yards until the officiating rose up? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't lose sight of that. Um, this is a guy that woke up Sunday morning, uh, didn't think he was going to start, uh, a guy that did not take reps in practice on Thursday or Friday, a guy that wasn't on the Browns roster just three weeks ago. Um, all of that is what adds to the sting of that drive, whether it was the third and 10 to Elijah Moore. You know, right after that play, Eddie, the Browns get to the line of scrimmage, and it's 219 on the clock. What is the new trend in the NFL, and I would say in college football even, right before the two-minute warning? When teams go hurry up, they run it yeah. right before the two-minute warning. They know they get the, the clock stoppage. So they look at it as the one time to catch you off guard. Pierre Strong, their third-string running back. So on that drive, it was third-string quarterback and third-string running back for the bulk of it. Uh, he runs for what was it? Was it 13 yards? And that is a huge play yeah. to get them now into, like, that to me, Eddie, got them into the situation where clock isn't going to matter for him. Like, that put them at the 37-yard line there at that point. And I felt like even with just, what did they Yes, have? 13 yards. Okay, did they have one timeout at that point? I'm trying to think if they had already burned their... They had one timeout left. The third one. Yeah, so they still had one timeout left. But that play right there gets the 37-yard line with two minutes to go. I mean, for the most part, they didn't, you know, they didn't need a spike. They didn't need to do anything kind of the rest of the way with that drive. So I thought that was a big play. And then two plays later, Eddie, how wide open was Donovan Peoples-Jones right over the middle of the field? Right over the middle of the field. I mean, he was wide the open. And those three plays, you know, to give credit to P.J. Walker, that was a pretty darn good throw and catch to Elijah Moore down the sidelines. That play, the 13-yard run by Strong, and then the 19-yarder to Peoples-Jones over the middle of the field, those are three big plays on that drive that kept Cleveland away from the fourth down or another third and long. You know, you, you never really got them into another third and long, even the third and four when the chaos ensued with the speed penalty and all of that, that, that still is not a long distance there. So um, that was just such a poor drive by this defense in that moment, considering the quarterback you were playing, uh, the lack of personnel around him at that point of the game. Um, and, and this is what we've seen from this defense. Um Eddie, we have seen from this defense moments to end games, slam the door shut, make the big, big time. I mean, what did Cleveland do? Cleveland slammed it shut on that final, final drive of the game. But I go back to the Eagles and Commanders game from last year, and I look at this one. Hell, you could even look at the Rams game. I know it wasn't the exact same situation because you didn't have a lead necessarily. But I just feel like it's missing from your D-line. And in particular, it's missing from Quiddy Pay. It's missing from Samson Ebukam. I think those two combined for maybe one hit yesterday. I mean, that's a matchup where, you know what, Quiddy is probably the one. I mean, Quiddy gets a rookie right tackle. He gets a day three rookie tackle. And what did, did he have a quarterback hit? Did he have a sack? Did he have a hurry? I, 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 I'm I, asking that. I don't, I don't remember any of those moments here as I try to scramble through the old box score to see what. I'm just judging by what it felt like up top with Quiddy yesterday. Uh, those are those moments where your closers have got to deliver for you, and they get drafted to be that. Yeah, no no um, quarterback hit or sack from Quiddy yesterday. Ebukam had, what, one quarterback hit I'm seeing here? Um, yeah, you need more. You need more from your closers in those moments, and you did not get that on that drive. Uh, seven plays, 67 yards until the chaos ensued there. So uh, I did not like how your defense had the opportunity to close it. I mean, if you would have told Shane Second at the start of the day, 
hey, man, you're going to get Philip Walker needing to score a touchdown with 2.30 to go, and he's got to drive 80 yards. And at that point of the game, he's been, what, 5 for 15 or whatever the hell he was leading in that drive? Hell yeah. Sign me up. Where do you sign up? And you couldn't close it. You couldn't close it. And, you know, if you want to look to your linebacker, you know, Shaq Leonard, this is now seven straight games, Eddie, without a pick, a forced fumble, or a fumble recovery. It's the longest stretch of his career. Um, Yeah. Uh, something I want to add in here, Kevin. Something that we talked about after the um, the Jacksonville loss in Jacksonville, where the defense came on on after the quick change on the turnover, they continue to struggle in that category. Whenever the Colts offensively make a turnover, uh, they have given up uh, fifty points on the defense. Um, they have forced three punts, uh, a missed field goal, one turnover on downs, uh, and one fumble off of those turnovers and three of those turnovers ended the half or the game so that in terms of the defense when they have to come on the field on after a turnover by the offense they haven't been good either yeah i i thought they were good at one sudden change moment i I, i'm trying to think of what it was i mean they they were dealt a ugly hand but going back to the jacksonville game obviously a very poor and sudden change uh right there after the bernard ryman strip sack um and I, I just I think it's fair to expect more out of your defense when you're facing a quarterback of of that stature, if you will, of PJ Walker at that point of the game, particularly from your front seven. You know, testing the secondary is one thing, but your front seven gets paid the big bucks and you draft for them high and you pay them big money to deliver, and they did not in that moment. Um now the second thing you did not like was Shane's game management. Yeah, and I want to make sure that we separate two things, Eddie. I agree with you in this regard, too, by the way. Shane Steichen wears two really, really important hats on game day. He wears a hat as the head coach and the game manager for the Colts, and he wears a hat as the offensive play caller for the Colts. Those are two really, really important things. And honestly, they probably at times have a little bit different objectives. The play caller for a team might differ from what the head coach thinks is necessary given this time and distance. You know, if you're a defensive play caller, an offensive play caller, you can get bottled up into what your own unit is specifically doing and maybe lose sight of the full game in general. We will get to what I liked here in a little bit. And just to tease it, what Shane Steichen did as an offensive play caller, I loved for so much of Sunday. I mean, that was, I mean, 450 yards, 38 points. I mean, what? There were some things that I didn't like that I'll touch on here in a second. Astonishing to me. But if you put on the game manager hat, I thought the first half was absolutely awful from Shane Steichen. Um, Let's go over these two situations here, okay? Um, You get sacked just after the two-minute warning that forces a second and 15 from your own six-yard line. There's a minute 50 to go in the first half. Uh, Cleveland had just taken a timeout. So what is Cleveland thinking? We're trying to get the ball back here. Second and 15 from your own six. Any sort of pass play is probably going to take your offense into the end zone, your offensive line into the end zone, certainly. So what what do you do in that situation? You risk an incompletion. You risk a holding penalty. You risk a strip sack. There's a lot of items of risk that you're putting on the table, not to mention going up against Miles Garrett, who's already wrecked the game once. At that point of the game. And on a second and 15 from your own six-yard line, Shane Steichen decides to play the game of risk. And I think one of the biggest issues that I had here, Eddie, with this is at that point, you had really, I would say, controlled large portions of the game. You look like the offense that had more potency than Cleveland's offense. And you also get the ball to start the third quarter. So, I think when you view all of those things, you have got to look at yourself and say, hey, right here, right now, this is not the time to play with fire. This is not the time to try and get points. This is the time to swallow your pride a little bit, milk the clock as best you can, force them to burn timeouts, however you want to view it, and live to see another possession. What do they do? They dial up a pass play. Drew Ogletree and Blake Freeland do not execute a chip slash whatever you want to call it, on Miles Garrett. Gardner Minshew obviously has no recognition on Garrett, and boom, it's a strip sack in the end zone. They recover the fumble. There's seven points. On the very next drive, you get into a third and 13. So now 
the score is Cleveland leads 24-21. It is a third and 13 with 126 on the clock. Cleveland has just burned their last timeout. So if you, what is that, 86 seconds to go as we do our math here, 86 seconds left in the half, if you run a play plus a punt, let's call the play, um, you know, whatever that would have been, a five-second play. Let's say the punt is five seconds. We'll, we'll say it's a quick punt. There's 10 plus 40 for the play clock, 50 seconds. So if you go from 86 seconds left in the first half, take 50 off of it, you give the Browns 36 seconds to go in the half from whatever, their own 30, their own whatever yard line you want to end up calling it. In that situation, I would think Cleveland might actually kneel it. But there's a chance they probably do the, hey, let's see if we can do one play here and see what happens. Right. You get tackled in bounds, and boom, that's theoretically going to end the first half. What does Shane Sykin do on third and 13? He calls a screen. Obviously, it's a screen. You feel like that's a pretty high percentage play. Uh, earlier, uh, the Colts had, what, lost six yards on a screen, I believe, to Mo Ali Cox? That's one of the plays I did not like. Not a great celebration for National Tight End Day by the Colts, by the way. Although Jack Doyle on the anvil was outstanding. He looked good. He was raising the roof, which I yeah. love the throwback to the raise of the roof there. I mean, best case scenario, Eddie, on that play, you get a screen and it goes for, what, seven yards? And you're still punting it. It's not like this is a second down where, you know, okay, let's see what happens here. And maybe, you know, you get into a third and Mangel and you go for it there. Gardner Minshew has to clock the ball there or ground it. That causes a stoppage. You then gift Cleveland 40 seconds. They get into field goal range. And when did they... When did they spike that ball field goal range? Like 10 seconds left in the first half? I mean, nine. They, nine? Yeah, yeah. They needed all of that time. And that was just to get to, what, 54 yards for Hopkins. It's mm-hmm. not like they got to 34-yard field goal yeah. for Dustin Hopkins. They needed all that time that they ended up having. And this sequence, Eddie, three points here, seven points on the Garrett Strip sack, that, to me, is inexcusable game management. And I want to make this very clear. I think Shane Steichen has been very good for the Colts through the first six games. Very good. In particular, I think his game management. I don't think he's been in many of these situations, but I think overall he's really managed the entire operation, which he has a lot on his plate. We see it. I mean, hell, Frank Reich just gave up play-calling duties. We see guys give this up. I thought he's handled it pretty darn well. This one on Sunday, though? awful if this was the end of the game and it was frank reich people would be rioting right now in describing him but because it's shane steichen and there's a little bit of he can do no wrong we choose to want to ignore it i'm not going to ignore it in reacting after the game Uh, to me it was a huge sequence it cost the colts in my opinion 10 points you could maybe nitpick and say it only cost them three and i know people say you know gardner's got to be better and all of that you can certainly say your players need to be better in that situation, but you put them into riskier situations. You said to your backup quarterback, you said to Drew Ogletree, who's played six games in his career, Blake Freeland's played, what, three games in his career, you said to those guys, hey, backed up, exposed, I'm going to need you to do something out of character. And when you do that, you run risk. And in that moment, I didn't think you needed to play the risk game. You were leading before the, the Garrett strip sack. That was 21-17 at that point. You got the ball to start the third quarter. You wore the offense that was proving to be more moving it up and down the field. I saw no need for either of those decisions at all, and I thought it was really costly. So did you just loop in the game management and the Miles Garrett playing all-in-one there? Well, yeah. I mean, Garrett was – now – before we get to Garrett, because I, I guess this goes hand in hand, you Freak had of mo- nature. You had more of an issue for the field goal call. I didn't have an issue with the field goal call. I had an issue with the third down call. Okay, so I had just gotten a holding penalty. Is that right? Was it holding or was it um, illegal motion or illegal shift or illegal formation? It was one of the two. Yeah, I think it was holding. A lot of penalties yesterday. Yeah, Those have actually been kind of a high penalty team this season. Yeah, what tied for seventh is what I heard. That's right. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. God, I can't believe Garrett made that play. That was so <laughs> unreal. I was I was there watching the game, and I was like, no way he just did that. Uh, it was a third and three. Will Fry's 10-yard penalty for holding. 
Uh, so it became a third and 13. Mo Cox screen loses six yards. Okay, yeah. So I did not like the screen call to Mo Cox. I'm, I'm fine with it if it's to anyone other than Mo, just because he's just so clunky as a runner. And nothing says tight end screen more than Mo Cox, who had been pretty much used as an inline blocker going out into the flat for a screen. Yeah, clunky as a runner is a good way to describe it. He really needs to get downhill to kind of get going there. Yeah, so I would have rather have seen like a Pittman screen because at that time he had no receptions in the first half. I think it was a fake screen or a double screen, something like that. Something like that, yeah. I like. I mean, I think it was a fake screen to the right with Taylor and they came back left to Mo. I think that's what it was, but I didn't like that third down call. I did not like the utilization of the backs in the second half. Um, after that drive where Taylor has seven touches for 50 yards and a touchdown, you go right back to Zach Moss. And after that, Moss had, I'm pulling it up here, he had eight attempts for nine yards in total in the second half. Taylor had 10 for 32 on the ground, but Moss had three carries for three yards after that. And Taylor, or five carries for five yards. Taylor had three for nothing. But those three Taylor carries came two series after he had just had the seven for 50. To me, Taylor got hot, and you got to ride the hot hand there. I didn't like him going back to Zach Moss right after that. It's interesting. I really hadn't looked at that from that angle. Um, for the game, Taylor outsnapped Moss by 10, uh, had 21 touches for um, 120 yards. Moss, 19 touches for 62. I, I did think Taylor looked very, very close to his old self. You got to be highly encouraged. By the way, I'm seeing. 35-35 for both. On snaps? Yes. For some reason, I saw 45 for Taylor on that side of it. Um, what else did I not like, Eddie, from yesterday? Uh, the Miles Garrett plan. Yeah. He's a freak. He, he's an absolute freak. I, it's probably a little overly critical, but I feel like you get into these Donald, you get into these Garrett situations, Eddie, and there's an element of just all cost we are taking that guy away i mean yesterday was you know a lot of people say well you know that was just miles garrett being miles garrett eddie the media is asking miles garrett afterwards was that one of the best games of your career was that the best game of your career and miles garrett's like not sure so miles garrett clearly thought that was one of the best games of his career it's not like these guys are having average games against the colts like they are having that was a first ballot Canton that is on your highlight reel type of game. I mean, he gave Cleveland ten points. Oh, I I would argue more. I mean, just um, off the top of my head, so, between the strip sack fumble and the block field goal. So the first strip sack led to seven. So there's seven. Yep. The second strip sack directly led to seven. So yeah, seventeen. So there's fourteen. And then I I think you could argue seventeen Browns points, but he also took three away from the Colts because yeah. he blocked the sixty yard. So 20, twenty points. Yeah. By by one dude. Yeah. So, I just think, and I know, there are ramifications from saying we are double-teaming him on every single snap. Like Drew Ogletree, when you chip on the strip sack, you can't even chip. You've got to stay in. Um, that's part of the risk that you run there. But, Eddie, if those plays, if the, if the Miles Garrett plays, if they just end in sacks... You know, it's probably premature to say that you like win the game, but your likelihood of winning that game go way up, go way up, just from simply punting the ball, living with kicking it. Um, so yeah, I just that is the game wrecker, and I feel like I feel like too many times the Colts allow the opposing team's best player to have one of, if not their best game of the season. I've always felt that way about kind of Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is going to kind of do him, for lack of a better phrase. But against a good run defense team in the Colts, Derrick Henry, I think it's like the second or third highest yards per carry of any opponent in his history in the NFL. Again, any opponent. You know, the Colts are a good run defense team. Why are the Colts not stopping him and being more of a kind of an average um, output against the Colts? So, um, yeah, I just thought, I thought Garrett completely wrecked it. Just completely wrecked it. There were times when I was watching that, I'm like, okay, we've got, you know, or the Colts have Mo Alley lined up off to the right side of the line of scrimmage. That's where um, he was primarily in the second half. In the first half, he lined up more on Bernard Ryman, and he got absolutely worked on that one sack that uh, that led to the first touchdown that you were talking about. 
but there was no chipping. I was like, what are we doing? Yeah, and, and what is going on? Why are you not chipping the best or second best, depending on where you rank him with TJ Watt? And Eddie, honestly, there were times where I just looked down and thought, thank the Lord Anthony Richardson isn't playing. Right? I mean, seriously. I mean, it was you know those type of hits, uh, obviously coming from a dude in Miles Garrett who's much bigger than you know any of the guys that has hit Anthony Richardson and causing those injuries earlier. Um, all right, does that cover everything I did not like? Correct, yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. Yeah. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You teased it up when you were talking about Shane's game management. You really liked the Shane Steichen offense yesterday. The other hat, Eddie, brilliant. 456 yards, 38 points. I mean, the, those are dream, dream numbers at all. Um, most yards the Browns have allowed this season. Most passing yards they've allowed this season. Most rushing yards they've allowed this season. You know, you, you hit on a couple big plays. Um, yeah, I, I thought they used arguably their most pre-snap motion of the year and I look at that as kind of okay how do you create another advantage when probably personnel wise you have a disadvantage in this game um you know use some tempo um you know Taylor was was really really good you know, I thought Gardner Eddie it, it's a shame he had the turnovers because those obviously stick out I thought he had a lot of good moments though and, and I don't think you can totally ignore that um, I thought it was probably the best day collectively your wideouts gave you I know Michael Pittman wasn't too happy about his lack of targets after the game. I'm a little head scratchy at that comment by Pittman. Um, you scored 38 points, man. Like, you know, Devontae Adams went on a little rant last week. I thought Devontae Adams made tons of sense in that rant. When your offense is playing poorly and your wideouts are not being targeted, okay, that's when you speak up. When you score 38 points, don't know if that's the time to speak up. A little out, out of character from Michael Pittman there. Um, Anything else offensively, Eddie? I, again, I, I just think Shane deserves a lot of credit. And that's the difficulty in kind of evaluating him just in regards to yesterday because you do wear two different hats that they do overlap as play caller and game manager, but they're different. And this gets back to what I didn't like about Shane, Eddie, is as a play caller, you're thinking score, 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 move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. Yeah. That person that's in your ear that says – Hey man, let's be cognizant of time here. We get the ball start the third quarter. That's usually Shane. That's usually the head coach, I should say. Like in Baltimore, that's John Harbaugh on the headset to Todd Munkin saying, "Hey Todd, you know I know it's a third and seven here. I know you probably want to do something down the field, but run a high percentage clock eating play here. Yeah, you know, something like that to try and say, let's look at the big picture." I thought yesterday, for the first time all year, I thought that Shane struggled in that area. Again, I don't have too much of an issue with the 60-yard field goal. I think Matt Gay's proven to make that. Um, to me, it was more of that sequence there late first half. I still think people exit. Colts fans should exit Sunday. Highly encouraged by Shane Steichen. I want to make that very clear. I can have an issue with what he did in the moment yesterday, late first half, and also sit here on a Monday morning and think, that's not going to be the norm. I don't think that's going to be the norm. So I want to make that very clear as well. But in the specific game flow of yesterday, uh, that was really bad. And also at the same time, I can sit here and say, man, offensively, to produce that that, that sort of game plan, outstanding. And this is just part of the, the, the difficult nature that Shane has taken on in wearing multiple hats. It's that there's a lot on his plate. And at times it's going to be complicated. At times there's going to be gray area with it. And that's the life that he's chosen as an NFL head coach and play caller. Um, but yesterday, uh, really, really good offensively. I know in losses, it's hard sometimes to focus or remember players that had good games because we just nitpick the things that caused the team to lose and not and not acknowledge the players that played well that give them a shot to win. Um, one offensive and one defensive player, uh, Josh Downs, five for 125 and a touchdown. They've got to find ways to get him involved consistently within the offense because anytime he catches the ball, it seems like there's a first down or he's making something happen. Uh, defensively, I know a lot of praise has gone to Zaire Franklin uh, this season and a lot of focus has been on Shaq and 
whether or not he's been returning to form or not. But I think Kenny Moore the second has had a really solid yeah. year. Yesterday, ten tackles, one and a half sacks, and three tackles for loss. I thought he was just excellent. Um, on the field yesterday. And man, isn't he needed right now? Just with everything that's going on corner-wise and, and just the lack of playmaking you're getting from your linebackers and the sense of turnovers. Um, you know, it's funny, I almost sit here right now, Eddie, and if you were like, all right, pick a Colts player that you expect to make a game-changing play defensively. Honestly, Kenny Moore and EJ Speed would be the first two names out of my mouth. I would even toss, um, especially the last couple of weeks, I would toss Julian Blackman's name in there. He's been around the ball a lot more lately. Yeah, Blackman obviously had the big pick yesterday. Um, so, yeah. I, I And almost had a second one. That would have been ridiculous. Yeah. That, that one-hander would have been absolutely incredible. Uh, Kenny, very good in a in a contract year as well. So, c- credit to Kenny. You know, how would you respond after last season? You know, admittedly very, very poor. Uh, but he has done a really nice job. Um, Jonathan Taylor, what did you think of his yeah, I thought he looked game. pretty close to his old self, man. And and both the pass game and run game. You know, that that catch he had on the little wheel route early in the game, great throw by Minshew, but that's a that's a play you're gonna get hit on. And he got hit on. And he hung in there, made the catch. A couple of big plays, a twenty four yard run. I just notice a little bit more. Watching the game from the view that we have in the press box, which is, you know, the ultimate all twenty two v- view of it, you're you're so high up there. Mm-hmm. There were a couple holes with Moss, I was like, man, those holes are huge and then uh, they closed yeah. real quick. So I do think you need to continue to increase that playtime for Taylor um as you kind of get, you know, deeper and deeper into it. But you know, three games into it, Eddie, to say that like you feel like he is, you know, kind of back to his normal self. Again, I think you got to be pretty uh, pretty encouraged by that. All right, so here are the numbers I was talking about earlier. After that seven-touch, 50-yard touchdown drive by Taylor Moss, had six attempts for seven yards. Taylor, three attempts, zero yards, and a reception for six yards. But that came on like third down and like 19 or something. Third down and 15. It was third and long. But I just felt like going away from Taylor in that, in that situation was not the right thing to do with the way the offense was moving through him on that one drive. Did we have anything Grover Stewart related in Twitter questions? Do do you recall? I do not recall. Okay. Um, I will try to sneak that in uh, at some point. We have anything else on what I liked? No. You ready for Twitter questions? Yes. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Cameron and Scotty, is there any structure in place for officials to be punished for horrible calls that swing games? Obviously, they don't get fined. Baseball, at least, has a grading system. Is there any sort of review? Uh, re- really sucks when the refs decide football games. Yeah, obviously, a lot of questions about this from yesterday. Several people chiming in. I, I don't know that. Um, to be totally fair, again, I haven't really looked into it Um and I think the NFL, you just get exposed a little bit more in this because you have review, you have replay that is now in you know incredible high def and slow down to the you know millisecond. Um, and when your games, there's so many games, Eddie, that come down to the wire, you're going to have these moments. Um, again, I have never been a big refs cost us, and, and I I tend to think I'm that way with like Notre Dame as well. Like that's not just me. Like. Speaking from someone that's a little bit numb to it, I, I I think my fandom indicates that. But I get the raw fan emotion. I mean, I I, I certainly get it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have a great answer for that. But it doesn't seem like there is an actual, I don't know, grading punishment scale. Well, maybe it impacts you know how deep you can go into the playoffs. Um, again, there was a, there was an Indy native on the officiating crew yesterday, so you know clearly he wasn't supporting the hometown team. If you want to go to if you want to go there. <laughs> Jay's Twitter question is up next. Uh, what do you think of Shane Steichen, or what do you think Shane Steichen was thinking with less than two minutes to go in the first half, throwing out of your own end zone when you're leading by four? Why would you not just hand the ball off and get uh, get to the half up four points? Does he really have that much faith in Gardner Minshew? If so, I think that's negligent. His game management screams first-time head coach. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I, Jay, I, I really don't know. Um, like, to be fair, I don't really even care about the score too much in that instance, but I would, I think you do, or I, I think you should care about the score in that instance. 
And my thoughts are just weather the storm. You get the ball start the third quarter. To me, it was a little bit of blind faith, Eddie. It was blind faith, and I think you got to live in reality of the backup you have in the game, the rookie quarter or the rookie right tackle you have in there. And Miles Garrett's already done it once to you. I mean, it shouldn't take that, but he's already done it once to you. Uh, so I, I, I mean, what was the thought process there? Was the thought process like you're going to score from second and fifteen on your own six yard line? The minute 50 to go in the first half? Like, to me, that's not living in reality when you're facing that sort of defense and you have, you know, your your backup quarterback in that game. So, you know, sometimes as a coach and as a play caller, your job is to protect your players from themselves. Mm-hmm. And I thought you exposed them, if anything. Something that's a little nuanced on my part that I was thinking about, the Colts won the toss. They elected to defer. To me, I feel like if you're going up against a better team, so let's say – Oh, in a few weeks when they play the Cincinnati Bengals on the road, I think, in my opinion, if you win the toss, you have to receive because you can't afford to let Gardner Minshew play from behind because that does not play into the style of offense that best fits Gardner Minshew just because we saw it again yesterday. Uh, he's now 1-10 in 10 when he throws a turnover, and the only win that he has, ironically, is against the Colts when he was with Jacksonville. Yeah, and, and yesterday, again, there are a lot of positives from Gardner, but from a turnover nature, it, it probably deserves to be a little bit more of what I didn't like of just the amount of turnovers. You know, when the strip sacks occur, Eddie, I, I always feel like, you know, we, you know, it shows up as a quarterback turnover. Um, I mean, to me, there's also an element of like your offensive line can't get beat in those situations. I, I, it's probably a combination of things. I mean, you know, Gardner's awareness in the pocket, I think, has been something that I've been a little bit head scratching with this season. Um, and, and honestly, fumbles are a little bit more indicative of his career. Interceptions, not necessarily. Fumbles mm-hmm. ha- have been there, though, um, with that. So certainly, he's got to protect the ball better, but I don't think it's just a black-and-white day with Minshew either. He still is a guy that, uh, I mean, completed 15 passes and threw for over 300 yards. And certainly, you know, my, Michael Pittman's catch-and-run helps him out, but let's give him credit for the Pittman play. He throws that ball on target and in stride. What does that allow Michael Pittman to do? Not break stride. And be kind of a battering ram in the middle of that field with you know Brown's defenders bouncing off him as he you know ran 75 yards for the touchdown. By the way, I have no idea why Michael Pittman was flagged for that. Unsportsmanlike conduct? No uh, idea. He threw up the peace sign. I, uh, and that's not allowed? No, because remember Tyreek would do it and then... Does, they... he, does he get flagged for it? Well, Tyreek doesn't do it anymore. Now he just goes into fan, it goes up, grabs fans' phones and does backflips. Or goes into the stands and celebrates with him. God, I'm watching this Miles Garrett play again. It is absurd. Which one? The, exactly. The jump over the line. Like, he is in his stance. It, it's not like, you know, sometimes you, you see like DBs, you know, get a running start. This man is in his stance, takes a half step to the right, and almost catches Matt Gay's field goal. What a freak. Absolute freak. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely nuts. I'm glad Bailey asked this question because it's something we haven't addressed yet. I'm sure it's been stated a lot now, but how big of a blow do you think Juju Brintz uh, going out was? I hated to see him go out, especially the way it happened. You could see his frustration. Yeah, and I, I got a text here. I haven't been able to confirm this, but I'll just relay this, um, that they're thinking he could be out several weeks if it can heal on its own. If not, then season-ending surgery, which you know, is unfortunately something that we've heard before from a Colts rookie this season. I mean, a huge deal. You know, it, it, It's a big blow. And, Eddie, it's a big blow in the short term and the long term. You know, the short term of yesterday, it throws Daryl Baker into the fire and you know throws him back into that situation and um, – I think what we've seen so far is, you know, the moment could be a little bit too big for him. Um, and, and this is a this is a time, Eddie, too, where it's like, and I know injuries have played into this. Obviously, the Dallas Flowers injury, and now theoretically the Juju Brent injury. But you know, the Daryl Baker benching in week two kind of started all of this. I mean, this is where you'd love to still have kind of a Darius Rush in there, of a guy that to me you did not need to expose on the waiver wire when you did, and now you know he's. I think it's Pittsburgh now he's with. Um, And to me, you had some room at the cornerback position to still retain. You know, the Colts have kind of churned the back end of their cornerback room. They claimed a dude from the Patriots off waivers late late last week, so we'll see what they think about him. If he can get up to speed, he was a six-round pick of the Patriots last year, a big dude. Um, 
I forget, Amir something or other. Uh, but yeah, I thought the Brent's injury was big. And, and I guess here, Eddie's where I'll throw in a little bit of Grover Stewart. Obviously, you felt him on the on the third play of the game. Mm-hmm. You go back and watch the third and two run by the Browns. Both their guards sealed Taven Bryan and DeForest Buckner. And I think we all agree Buckner is more of a pass guy than a run guy. I mean, he still is effective against the run. But obviously, Cleveland said, I think we can handle that. What does that do? It allows their center to get to the second level. And who does their center get? He gets Zaire Franklin on that play. And now all of a sudden, I mean, Jerome Ford, Eddie, he scores that if it's two-hand touch. Third and two, 69 yards up the middle? Mm-hmm. How often do you see that? Yeah. I mean, it was... I mean, that was... And then boy. Shaq was just standing there like, oh, bleep, he's yeah, coming. Shaq gets a late start, and it doesn't look good. Jalen Jones, I thought, could have given you better effort from that corner, kind of pinching down there, especially in a short yardage play when you think run yeah. could be an option there. Um, for what it's worth, Eddie, uh, Taven Bryan, 19 snaps, zero tackles. I thought at times he was getting absolutely blown off the ball. He got the start for Grover. Eric Johnson, the second, the fifth round pick from two years ago. Um, he, he played 31 snaps. He had a pass deflection there, too, in the fourth quarter, right? He had a half tackle. Did he have a pass deflection? Or was that, or was that was Buckner? Buckner? Oh, yeah, that's Buckner, yeah. Um, and then he got hurt late, and it did not look good late. Um, and honestly, that's probably the one that I think you'd want, you know, if you're going to pick the two moving forward, I think Johnson. Short-term and long-term. He's probably a little bit more of a nose type of guy or maybe a little bit better against the run. So, yeah, you're in full scramble mode right now with where you're at at defensive tackle. I mean, certainly the Browns rushing offense wasn't as potent throughout the day. Yeah. But the 69-yarder and the fourth and one to end the game, I mean, that's where you're going to feel Grover. It doesn't have you know, it doesn't have to just be the yards per carry at the end of the game. You know, if that 69-yarder, if Grover makes Jerome Ford go through a different hole and it's a four-yard gain— is Cleveland driving the length of the field to Sean Watson early in the game? I don't think so. And obviously the fourth and one, you know, that one as well. Uh, a little bit of Pacers news right here in the middle. Twitter questions. Uh, Aaron Neesmith gets a uh, contract extension. Uh, Tony East of Forbes and Locked On Pacers saying uh, three years and can earn up to $38.6 million. Good for him. Yeah. Good for Aaron Neesmith. Good I, for um, Tony. Oh, sorry. I, oh, well, that, that as well. Tony's outstanding with that. I like his game. And I, I felt too. like he had a nice um, season with the Pacers and almost kind of a forgotten guy. Yeah. Brings a little bit of toughness that they need on the defensive end, that's for sure. Uh, back to the Colts game. Uh, Jake was talking about the Jerome Ford play. He goes, while the first play getting gashed by Ford hurt, take away the 69-yard touchdown run, and the defense held them to 81 yards on 32 carries. That is 2.5 yards per carry. Colts offense put up over 450 yards of offense despite – four turnovers refs absolutely screwed the Colts over to gift us the L I want us to get a high draft pick for the sake of Anthony Richardson so the loss is good in that sense but I can't reconcile with the loss in that fashion uh, what are the Colts fans going to make of this bummer of a season thank you and love the pod PS FYI the Easter eggs and the Christmas tree Reese's cups had the best chocolate to peanut butter ratio for Eddie's sake you know what what, what we have done here in the Bowen household and I am I'm glad there's somebody out there that has done a it looks like a case study on where the best peanut butter to chocolate ratio is when it comes to the Reese's that is outstanding I'd love to be the person doing the case study on that uh, you know, I bought Halloween candy a few weeks ago. Are you out already? In the back of my head, I'm like, this is just means we can eat it all before Halloween. Yeah. Smart. Dumb. Oldest trick in the book. By the way, Something what are the like kids that? going up, dressing up as this Halloween? Uh, Rose is going to be a Barbie and Max is going to be a dinosaur. Nice. Halloween, early Halloween weather. Nothing says you're a parent like you look ahead to Halloween weather. It looks awful. Are you and Maddie this dressing week, up? Uh, I will be a piece of bacon for the umpteenth year in a row. Kevin Bacon, if you will. Uh, ha ha. And I will see what. I, I'm not sure what Maddie's going to be, actually. She has. One year we were eggs and bacon. Oh, nice. Uh, I, actually, Rosie was the egg. Maddie was toast, now that I think about it there. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, Jake's question is how. Boy, Jake, Jake covers a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a lot of fan frustration. And, you know, we had a caller today, Eddie, on our morning show that did the entertaining loss comment. Yep. I think in the raw emotion of a Monday morning radio show at 8.30, I would argue, what, 8% of your audience wants to hear the phrase entertaining loss at that point? Now, maybe if we remove ourselves and we get to the end of the year, you're going to look back at that Browns game and say, 
oh wow, are you drafting three spots ahead of? Because you know when I when I get to the draft, Eddie, I want to be the one making the choice. I don't want other teams having to dictate what's on the board for me. You know that's why I was such an advocate of trading up back in last year's draft. Of I want to be the one that can pick between Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I don't want to have see Anthony Richardson just left in my lap for me. By the way, Marvin Harrison Jr. Another. Excellent game, by the way, against top competition. So, yeah. So, let's play that out. Marvin Harrison goes, let's say he goes two. Obviously, the Colts, you would assume, are going to win too many games to be drafting that high and aren't probably going to trade up. But I want to pick the second wide out then. Or I want to pick the best pass rusher available. I don't want to be in a situation where other teams are kind of dictating what the board looks like for you. Um, there are all different types of fans, Eddie. And this is, I feel like I always get on like my fan philosophical thoughts, but like you make of the season what you want to make of it. So far, I think this is a team that's played better than I thought, even though I'm one that had them, I would assume I had them at three wins at this point of the year. I don't know. I had them seven wins for the season. I would I would guess right around three wins at this point. Um, and I think you can exit it right now thinking, you know, after seven weeks, if you're going to give a mid-season report card, like there are, there have been a lot of encouraging signs out of this year. Um, and that's putting just all the Richardson stuff to the side. And we'll, I mean, we will get into all of the analyzation of it at the end of the year. And, you know, is Bernard Ryman definitely the guy? Is Quiddy Pay definitely the guy? What does the future hold for Shaq Leonard? What should Michael Pittman's contract situation look like? All those storylines. We will unpack. Um, I think arguably the most encouraging sign so far is probably Shane Steichen. I would go there first um, if you want to look at a you know very kind of positive element. And again, this comes after me saying that I thought he was extremely costly yesterday late in the first half. But all in all, I think you should be very happy that he's your head coach. I am as well, for sure. Uh, four Twitter questions left, so we're halfway through. Rodney, first off, love the pod, and I never miss it. Love your guys' level-headed perspective, especially in times like these. The question is multifaceted in this sense, that it's clear that the Colts struggle to shut the door late with a lead and have for years, as it's clear we don't have a game record on the roster currently, i.e., Miles Garrett. Whatever draft capital is available, knowing that the Colts need to find some groceries to stock the cabinet for the for next year for Anthony Richardson, but shouldn't goal number one be to absolutely 100% fund a dominant pass rusher either in the draft, trade, or free agency? Quiddy ain't it. Samson ain't it. Dio ain't it. They are good complimentary pieces, but they are not alphas. I want to get to Roddy in just a second, but he brings up the D-line. I did have a few questions about the Miles Garrett play, Eddie, and why that wasn't a penalty. Which he, one? Uh, the field goal leap. Uh, he's got to make contact. Correct. And so I, I think some credits above have been thrown in all seriousness there. Miles Garrett said after the game that's a play that they have in but don't have it in every week. And so clearly Bubba had seen something in the Colts blocking that I, I forget who exactly is lined up there. I don't. Maybe it was Taven Bryant. I think it is because he had the – he had the penalty on the PAT, and yeah. I, I was trying to figure out where he was because illegal formation. I was like, "Oh, he's lined up, you know, right guard or whatever." Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's Will Fries in his normal right guard spot. If it was, I think Taven Bryan could have been in there, but basically, those guys are going to block down and not, you know, raise up in yep. that situation. Which you know, it makes sense. You obviously want to try and lower the line of scrimmage so the block doesn't occur there. Obviously, Especially with the longer field goal, you're probably going to kick it lower, kick it a little bit lower, certainly from sixty yards. So the Browns. You know, felt like that was a possibility, and then Miles Garrett's a one of one freak in the NFL. Um, I think Rodney points out a very accurate point about the rushers: uh, good complimentary pieces, but not alphas. It's the last time the Colts have had an alpha pass rusher. Robert Mathis. It was a decade ago, right? Led the league in sacks in 2013. Oh my, it's been that long. Feels like yesterday. You know, Houston has crept into a ten sack season. Eric Walden's crept into a ten sack season. You know, Buckner's been right there. I'm trying to think of some of the other. You know, Ngakwe, I guess you know was very close to that. Especially had he not gotten hurt. Um, I think the whiteout pass rusher debate is a lot closer than people think, Eddie. And I'm probably a lean towards whiteout guy because of the Richardson development. But if we get to April. And you're going to show me that there's more depth in the wideout draft class than the edge rush draft class? That's where you could very well fall into the trap of edge rush round one, wideout round two. 
you know, sort of positional mock draft that we can all get into there. Brian. But overall, to Rodney's point, I think a dominant pass for, I mean, yeah, I, I again, I, I probably am a little, I'm a little bit more wide out because it's Richardson. Having said that, I think it's a much closer debate than a lot of people look at right now. Brian thought. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It was a good game yesterday from the Colts. It was exciting and it kept him interested throughout. The result was great too. This will not be a very popular view, but it is for the best interest of the team. Daryl Baker Jr. needs to play more. The only way coaches can be evaluated is by the back end of the roster playing. Let's see if they improve. The season is a punt and they need the high draft pick. We know what we have in running backs. Let the younger players play and see what they have. No reason to risk in injury to a player we need next year. Ballard will get a pass, so let the good players get a pass too. Sit them. Entertaining loss crowd. Here we go. Um, again, a- after this week, I-, I don't think anyone necessarily wants to hear that. And maybe there is a little bit more of a crowd than than not uh, that I am – Acknowledging, but I mean, for this past Sunday, Eddie, that was such a big game, wild card standing wise. You know, you fell from eighth to eleventh. Cleveland was at seventh, uh, clinging to that final wild card spot, and it's an AFC loss. It's a head to head loss with Cleveland. That's where you know there's just that extra extra sting to it all, and you know, probably to add to it, you know, it comes when Jacksonville wins on Thursday night football, and you know, I guess Houston's got a bye week if you want to look at it like that, but. Um, I mean, they are. I, I I don't outside of Nick Cross, and by the way, Eddie, two snaps for Nick Cross on Sunday. So the increase in play time, if uh, there was any sort of objective there, not much came to fruition there. Uh, you know, outside of Nick Cross, I don't know if I look on this roster and think, you know, the Colts are stunting player A's growth by not playing him. I I don't. Maybe I'm missing somebody, but I don't feel like there was like an abundance of guys that fall into that boat. Across would probably be the biggest one, easily the biggest one. Yeah, I like to see a little bit more Will Mallory too. I know he got yeah, some Mallory run yesterday. Yeah, Mallory. He he, had, he actually had a target, but yeah, he dropped it too. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, he, he definitely got his hands on. It. I didn't think it was a great, great throw, but yeah, that was a drop. Chris is up next. When will this team learn how to close games out? Yes, the Revs made some bad calls, but that wouldn't have mattered if they just put the clamps down to stop a team. You know, when Buckner knocked down that ball to start the drive, I thought Leonard was picking it off. It looked like Philip Walker was looking for Njoku over the middle, and it looked like Leonard was in that area. Uh, I don't know, maybe. Who knows, knowing Philip Walker, the ball could have been thrown into section 432. (laughs) Uh, You know, obviously EJ Speed had that moment, Eddie, and it was negated by the penalty. I mean, EJ Speed, to me, he's the guy that makes the most of those plays. If you looked at a per-snap basis, EJ Speed makes those plays. And right now, Leonard is not. Seven straight games, again, without an interception, without a forced fumble, without a fumble recovery. I believe the longest stretch of his career, Eddie, before this one was five games without those three. And then I'll go back to Quiddy Pay. You know, we'll, we'll probably do more of a midseason report when the bye week gets here, albeit it'll be a little bit past the midseason report at that point, Eddie. But right now... You know, we had on our storyline list at the start of the year, Ryman at left tackle, pay at end. Who do you feel better about? Or do you feel great about both? Right now, I think I still feel pretty good about Ryman. I know obviously the last two weeks, Josh Allen and Miles Garrett have made some big plays against him, but I I, I think I still feel good about him. Pay is the one that I have I am in question on. And it, this is the pseudo contract here. Eddie, right now, are you picking up Quiddy Pay's fifth year option? Boy, Whew. as of right now, I probably not. He's had more games where he's not been there than games that he has been there. Yeah, I think, I think I'm a probably not. But again, it's obviously a debate. He's got whatever ten more games the rest of the season to see how it plays out. But that's obviously a big storyline left uh, left going from there. And again, closing the you know just the ability to close to me that so often comes from a dominant defensive line, and I don't think the Colts have that when it comes to pass rushing situations. I thought he had a couple good plays in the run game. 
Yeah, I mean, he had a run. decent tackle number, right? Was it five? Uh, yeah, five. I mean, that's a that's a pretty good number for a defensive end. Um, but to me, I would sacrifice that if you could get a little third down pop going. Uh, Flippin is our last question for today's pod in the Twitter section category. Uh, Kevin, what are your thoughts about changing punt returners? Isaiah McKenzie is a liability, and it's going to bite the Colts. Is Josh Downs an option? Thank you. Yeah, Downs is the other guy. So you go back there. Then they cut Amari Rogers over the weekend. I think yes. to make room for the for the DB that they claim. So didn't um uh, didn't Downs say something in the preseason when they asked him about? It? He goes, Yeah, I didn't even do it in high school. Or something like that about really? fielding punts, or maybe he hasn't done it since high school. That well, he maybe did it at North Carolina. Josh did. I'm almost positive he did it at North Carolina. Let me look. Um, he certainly has done it with the Colts in practice, and you know, very special teams drills. I mean, to me, I I don't know about you, but I yeah, he did in 21 and 22. Yeah, he was a punt returner. Yeah, Carolina. then maybe it's McKenzie that I'm thinking about about returning punts then. I just feel like I'd rather just have reliable back there. I mean, I guess, you know, if you can go get seven yards when the moment arises for seven yards, but just give it reliable, and down seems to be that guy. And it's not like, I mean, he's playing a big role offensively, Eddie, but it's not like he's playing. I mean, Alec Pierce actually outsnapped Michael Pittman yesterday. It's not like he's playing. Uh, Pierce had 70 snaps, Pittman had 68, down's at 50. So, I mean, he's still playing a big number, but, I mean, hell yeah, Dallas Flowers on kick return. I'd throw him out there. Yeah. I, I don't know who else. I, maybe there's – could Kenny Moore do it? I, I don't know. I, I don't love think... defensive players going back there after just, like, if they somehow had a long drive, just a little bit tired. Yeah, I don't know if Shane Steichen was Josh Downs out there fielding punts because yeah. he is your third wide receiver, and his, his snap count has slowly been increasing the last couple of weeks. He played 71% of the snaps Just fair catch yesterday. everyone for all I care. <laughs> You know, I mean, right. nowadays, like it dumbfounds me that teams bring the ball out that that teams return kicks. I, maybe I'm just missing these big returns, but where are these returns that teams get past the 25 yard line? Oh, last night, I think every time Braxton Berrios took it out for Miami, other than maybe like one, he brought it out to like the 30, 35 I yard swear, line. When I watch the Col- and obviously I, I live in a very Colts bubble. I do not see either the Colts or their opponents get past the 25-yard line often at all. Yeah, that's, I think that's a large part of the one coverage. Out of four, one out of five kicks. Right. So it's just like fair catch it like no other. By the way, Shaq played 72% of the defensive snaps yesterday in total of 54. EJ Speed only 30 snaps, so 40%. You got to get that speed playing time up. He just – he. He's he's impactful, man, and I'm sure there's probably a little bit of crazy with him. He commits some penalties, and it might not be the most perfect, but for a defense that needs more playmaking out of their front seven, to me, EJ Speed's got to be on the field more. And you know what? Do you fall into a Jacksonville trap, Eddie, with how your cornerback group is right now? Is it really worth bringing Daryl Baker on the field as your third corner? Right. Why not play some more base? Yeah. Are we are are. Are we going to overreact to what the Cleveland passing game is or the New Orleans passing? Did you watch Derek Carr last Thursday night? I did. Ugly. Yeah. And he's got weapons. Yeah, actually he does. Uh, all right, he's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Pacers open up on Wednesday night. Looking forward to their season getting underway. We'll be back Wednesday afternoon with the reactionary pod. Uh, update on Juju Brents there. See if there's confirmation on how long he's going to be out and whatever other news items inevitably arises with this Colts team. 107.5 The Fan is all your coverage, Colts-wise. Thanks, people, for listening. Love you.